So Brother Ellis, you come and preach tonight. We're thankful for this good attendance. We're coming back, aren't we? Amen. I believe that with all my heart, and it's exciting for a pastor. Amen. God bless you, brother. Appreciate you. Wonderful to be here tonight. My heart's been blessed by the singing and the wonderful um, presence of God tonight. I do appreciate this church. Appreciate you, pastor, and uh, thank the Lord for him. I do have some encouraging news, though, and they were getting you or picking on you about your 70th birthday. I've recently read that uh, most men of God, most preachers, and most folks in general they do their greatest work from the years of 60 and upward. So I thank God there is hope for us and help for us because I'll be 62 this year. Uh, hard to believe, but Peggy reminds me she's looking forward to growing old with me. And I said, looking forward to it, I thought we were already there. But anyway, the Lord has been good. And I do appreciate you, preacher, and thank God for him. And I appreciate the church and the good singing tonight. I did learn something tonight. I always have my ears open and uh, mind open to try to learn something. And I learned about that bird's eye. I've seen that, but I didn't know it was up to the individual to hold it out as long as they want. I'm going to ask every church from now on to put a bird's eye over my name before I preach. <clears throat> they can call me Bird's Eye Ellis. That'll be fine with me. Amen. But I uh, caught a hold of that, and I just thought I'd remind you tonight. Thank God I learned something here tonight. I was in a church recently. And oh, I say recently, I guess it's been close to a year ago now. It's hard to believe that COVID shut everything down, almost shut it down for a year. And getting ready to preach in a church, a pastor had us in, and uh, they were singing at uh, 12.15, 12.30, 12.45. And the preacher said, Brother Ellis, you come to the platform and get ready to preach. And I could tell by looking at the congregation, they were ready to go home. And I didn't want to tell the preacher, but I was ready to go home by then. <laughs> and so I got up to... Cut the ice a little bit with the church. It's almost one o'clock before I got in the pulpit. And um, it was a tent, so you could cut it with a knife in the atmosphere. And I said, you know, I said, I'm normally a two-hour preacher. But by the good grace of God, I'm going to cut it down to an hour and a half today if you'll pray with me. And we were sitting in the back of the church, and an elderly lady leaned over in front of Mrs. Ellis and said to her husband, Dear God in heaven, I hope he's not telling the truth. I said, it's the first time in my life I've ever had somebody pray, and I was lying in the pulpit. It's wonderful to be back. I preached my first message this morning at, uh, with Pastor Tony Angel. God gave us grace, and I've been looking forward to being here tonight. And I'll say my first message. I guess maybe I ought to classify that. Of course, when I get done, you might say, yeah, I believe it was his first message. But it's my first message in about five weeks, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be back in the pulpit. I appreciate Brother Steve and Miss Gail Gregory tonight. They've been a great encouragement to me personally. Maybe sometime I'll give you more details and testimony. First time I ever preached in prison, Brother Gregory gave me the opportunity down in Parchman, Mississippi. And I'm so grateful that Dr. Garris wasn't there. I probably wouldn't have been a missionary at the Rock of Ages uh, for these 35 years. But I do appreciate Brother Steve. He's been a great help to me and many of our missionaries over the years. And the prisons are beginning to reopen to us now here in the United States and other nations around the world. And so we'd ask you to please continue to pray. I'd like to invite you to our 44th uh, National Conference with the Rock of Ages. We have an annual conference and have had for 44 years. It is the 44th year in the existence of the ministry, and we'll be going to the New England states, and we'll be going to Northfield, Massachusetts. For those that know anything about history and some of the great preachers of the past, D.L. Moody is from Northfield, and we'll be doing our conference at the Northfield uh, Conference Center there, the D.L. Moody Conference Center. That'll be the 21st of June through the 24th. I'd like to encourage you to mark your calendars and come. And I'd like to encourage this church, send your pastor if he's able to come. Uh, during that time frame, it'll be a wonderful week. The conference center is just the way it was when Dale Moody preached his last conference and conducted it in that great facility. It'll house about 2,300 people. And looking forward to what the Lord will do in taking the gospel to the New England states. There's some great churches in New England. But there's many churches uh, throughout the country in that part of the uh, United States that have gone liberal. And so we're looking forward to taking the old-time gospel uh, to that part of the nation. So if you would please join with us in prayer uh, concerning that. I want to give a little bit of a testimony tonight. I'll try to incorporate it with the message tonight. I had mentioned as we come in that uh, to Brother Gregory, I said, pray. The Lord's kind of led me in a unique direction tonight for me personally. I like taking the Bible in its context and preaching and what the Lord has for us, and certainly we will not take the Bible out of context tonight, but I do want to share something with you that I believe the Lord has directed our hearts to, and I'll share with you what the Lord has done recently for us. If you have your Bible, let's go to one passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis in chapter number 30. Genesis in chapter number 30, and we'll read one verse tonight, 
for the sake of time, and we'll ask God's blessing on the message, and then we'll get right into the services tonight. Again, I want to say how grateful I am for this church, for the testimony of this church, and for the vision that God gave, excuse me, gave to your pastor to start this work many years ago, and thank the Lord for your testimony and the missionaries that you support and uh, send out on the field. And thank you for supporting Rock of Ages and our missionaries. Uh, we're trying all we can to lay up fruit in heaven to your account. Now, if you have your Bible in Genesis chapter 30, and you're able tonight, if not, we understand, but if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence to the reading of the scriptures, and uh, we'll get right into the message the Lord has given us tonight. In Genesis chapter number 30, and verse number 27, the Bible says, And Laban said unto him, I think most of us are Bible students tonight, and we understand that the word him is referring to Laban in this passage of Scripture, or excuse me, Jacob. And Laban said unto him, or unto Jacob, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry. Now notice and mark these following words. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Now I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture that Laban is acknowledging that the blessings of God that have been upon him is the result, the direct result of Jacob's presence in his life and in his family. And notice what he says in this passage of scripture. He said, I have learned by experience. And by the grace of God tonight, I want to take that phrase out of the scriptures and preach the message tonight entitled, Things I've Learned by Experience. Let's pray. Fathers, we bow before you tonight. We are grateful for your people that have gathered tonight. Lord, I would ask you to continue to bless and supply every need. Lord, preadventure, there may be one here tonight that is not saved. They've never given their life to Jesus Christ. They've never put their trust in the shed blood of Christ and his forgiveness, his death, burial, and resurrection. They've never accepted the gospel. And so tonight, I pray that you'll convict them, show them their need for salvation, help them to act upon that need. And then I would pray, Lord, that you'll be with those here tonight that may be a little discouraged, that may be facing trials and troubles and tribulations and heartaches and sorrows and heartbreaks. And Father, they need a touch from heaven. They need strength and power and they need your presence. God, they need a miracle tonight in their own heart and life. And I pray that you'll meet that need. Tonight, I pray that you'll find the fires of revival that burn hot in the, in the coals and the depths of the heart of those that are here. And I'd ask you that you'll give thy servant tonight the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God Anoint us, strengthen us, empower us, and help us to speak only those things that be pleasing to thee and bring glory and honor to thy name. Now help us tonight, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Some things I've learned by experience. In the text, and I'll not take the time to go through and set all the context of the scripture. I certainly don't want to take anything out of text, but in the context of the scripture, Laban is acknowledging that the blessings that has been upon his life is not so much because of himself, but is because of Jacob and his presence and how that God has had his hand upon Jacob. We find that God had blessed him and gave him a great magnitude of uh, cattle. He had multiplied it many times more than what it was before Jacob showed up on the scene. His goats and other flocks and other areas of his life. In fact, God had blessed him, I believe, in one of the greatest areas of blessings in life, especially for a, a grandparent, and that is that God had blessed him with grandchildren. Amen. And I want to say tonight, what greater blessing can there be than to know that you have grandchildren, your children's children, and we're not to the great-grandchildren stage yet, but I'm looking forward to that day, and it's coming soon enough. But you know, the truth of the matter is, someone said uh, sometime back to me, said, Brother Ellis, are you spoiling your grandchildren? And my response was no, absolutely not. I have learned by experience, this is not part of the text that I'm going to give, but I've learned by experience, you cannot spoil your grandchildren. What I have learned is your grandchildren spoil you. We were at our home the other morning and our little Molly, she's three years old, we have five grandchildren and she's the only one that has much to do with her papa. The rest of them all take after their nana. Pray for them, please. Mary Hart doth good like a medicine as long as you're not Mrs. Ellis, I suppose, and on the blunt end of my jokes. 
But she come running to me with her hands out and a big smile on her face. She jumped up in my lap and said, I love you, Papa. She buried her head in my shoulders and hugged me and gave me a kiss on the cheek. And I said, what do you want? She's only three years old. I said, do I need to go pawn the house or get a second mortgage? What do you want? We don't spoil them, they spoil us. And God had blessed Laban in all areas of his life, his family, his flocks, and so forth because of the presence of Jacob and the hand of God that was on Jacob's life. We better be careful with those that God has blessed us through them in our criticism in other areas. We'll see that Laban later, and we'll probably not get to this portion of the message, but later he flips on that and narrowly avoids the judgment of God upon him. Now I want you to notice in this passage of scripture, he said, I've learned some things by experience. Now tonight, there are multiple things that I've learned by experience. There's things tonight that you've learned by experience in your Christian life and those that are involved in ministry. But I'm gonna give you about three or four tonight as time allows of some things I've learned by experience. I've just chosen about three or four of them. The first thing I've learned by experience is found in 1 Kings in chapter 8 and verse number 56, where the Bible says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people, according to, watch this, all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised to the hand of Moses, his servant. May I say to you, I've learned by experience over these 43 years of being a Christian, and 42 years of preaching, moving into my 43rd year, I was called to preach shortly after salvation, I've learned that every promise in the Bible, the word of God, is true and you can take it to the bank. If God said it, it is absolutely truth according to the scripture and the word of God. And Laban is saying, I have learned by experience that God blessed me because he has blessed promises upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am a benefactor of the blessing of God keeping his promise to Jacob and his family and his heritage. I thank God that I can rest tonight on the promises of God's divine word. I've studied on the promises of God. I've heard that there are anywhere from uh, 1,500 all the way up to several thousand promises in the Bible. Now, if you ask me tonight, I suppose it's in speculation, and I've gone through, I have one Bible, I've marked the present of the promises of God. Reminds me of the uh, one lady that uh, was on her deathbed and the children had asked for her Bible, and so she went ahead and gave it to them while she was living, and one of them came back just before death and said, Mom, I have to ask you this question. I've been reading your Bible and your notes that you have in the flyleaf. And along the way, there's a lot of TPs beside many passages of Scripture in the Word of God. Could you tell me what that stands for? And she said, I'd be glad to. Every morning I'd wake up, I'd find a passage of Scripture that I could claim for God's promise for that day. And I'd put a T beside it in the morning and it meant and it stood for trying. I'm trying God at his promise for this day. He said, well, what does the P mean? She said, at the close of the day, I'd tried that promise from the word of God and every time God would prove his promise and at the end of the day, I'd put T and a P beside the T and it stands for tried and proven. May I say to you and I tonight, there is not a single verse in the Bible that has a promise to it that you and I cannot put a TP beside it and claim tried and proven the God that we serve, his promises are true. Secondly, tonight, I want to look at some of the promises that God has given to us. Notice, if you would, and most of us are familiar with this text, in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 16. The Bible simply says all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for reproof and uh, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice he said all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration, we all know this and are students of the Bible, it means God breathed, God inspired. And I studied the breath of God. In fact, I have a message I preached uh, here some time back and on the breath of God. And I began to study the scripture and I found out and determined that everywhere the breath of God is used in the Bible, it is always giving life. Let me give you a couple of examples. He took dust, dirt, red clay, and formed man from the dust of the ground, and God 
breathed into Adam's nostrils and man became a living soul. Man was dead, not just spiritually. He had no life whatsoever and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And I say to you, where there is the breath of God, there is always life. In the valley of dry bones, there were a bunch of skeletal remains there and God breathed of the valley of dry bones and Ezekiel and flesh came upon them and sinew upon sinew. And when the breath of God blew through the valley of dry bones, they stood and came to life again. Again because of the breath of God. Amen. Aren't you glad for the breath of God? Sure. The Bible says in the scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration, the breath of God. It's God breathed. Do you know why this Bible stands apart from all other books? There are Qurans that they claim to be preserved. There are historical documents such as the Declaration of Independence, a Bill of Rights, and other legal documents of our founding fathers in the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. They are preserved. The Bible's preserved. But you know what takes our Bible and sets it apart from all other preserved books in the world, including the Quran and others? This Bible is inspired. It is God-breathed. This Bible is alive. The Bible said in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and sharp and powerful than any two-edged sword. And quick and powerful means that it is alive. You know why the Bible is alive? You know why a sinner can read the Bible and be converted to Christ without a preacher or a soul winner or anyone else being nearby? Because this Bible is alive. This Bible speaks. You know why? For God said, let there be light and there was light. God spoke the word of God. He spoke it to, the, uh, to those penmen and they wrote the Bible. And this Bible came from the very breath of God. And that's why this Bible is alive. That's why this Bible is set apart from all other books. It was written under the breath of Almighty God. Everything that God touches, boy, I've got good liberty tonight. Everything God touches with the, and has his breath upon it has life. I was preaching, I suppose it's been a year and a half ago now. Well, actually, it wasn't even that long. Maybe a year ago, it was right when COVID hit. And in the invitation, uh, folks were over in one corner of the church praying. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, people started shouting. I thought, well, I don't know what's going on, but I like it. And it was exciting. Come to find out somebody, a young man got saved that morning. You know why? The breath of God just kind of blew across that corner of the church and breathed life into a sinner that was hellbound, that was willing to trust Christ as her Savior. I thank God tonight for the promise of the Bible. It is a living, breathing book. It's the Word of God. Secondly, tonight, for the promises of God, I'm thankful that He'll carry our burdens. In 1 Peter 5 7, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here tonight. I want to get right to the main thrust of my message. You say, you ain't got there yet. I'm a getting there. We can cast our burdens upon him. I've had friends forsake me. I've had preachers forsake me. I've had family members forsake me. I've had many that have turned their back on us over the years, but I have never had God forsake me. And I found that no matter the circumstances, no matter the crisis, no matter the trial, no matter the tribulation, no matter the trouble, I can cast all my care upon him for he careth for me. And you know what I've learned by experience? There is no burden too heavy for God. There are no problems that God cannot solve. Casting all your care upon him. Thirdly, I've learned and his promises that salvation is all. Now, if you're here tonight and you're a hyper-Calvinist, you say a hyper-what? If you don't know, God bless you, don't even ask. You're blessed greater than you know. You're blessed beyond measure. But if you're here in a hyper-Calvinist, you won't like what I'm about to say. Salvation is to everyone. The Bible said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, I'm glad I am a whosoever. And that day at the Dogwood Valley Baptist Church when Pastor Roy Gentry preached, and gave the invitation, and I'd been arguing with God about things that had taken place. I was over in the Gatlinburg Smoky Mountain area, and a group of young people was out passing out gospel tracts. Wasn't this one, but it was a tract. I didn't know it was a tract at the time. I took it, seen as religious, threw it on the ground, gave them choice words, and walked away. That night, I was thrown in jail for disorderly conduct as a teenager, 16 years old. And uh, in the cell they threw me in was all the way up front and all the others, there were adults, and they had them in the back of the cell block. 
And I was agitated because they had me segregated from the rest of them. I didn't understand it. I was a young man. I was a, what I thought a know-it-all. Couldn't find out. I didn't know anything. In fact, I don't know anything still. And uh, I thought, well, what did they put me up here for? But it had John 3.16 inscribed on the wall. I learned John 3.16 as a sinner. If somebody had been there to tell me how to be saved, I'd have gotten saved then and there, but there was no one there. They transported me back to Dalton, and uh, long story short, I was in the Whitfield County Jail. And I had an uncle, Uncle Dwight. He came, and he was an ex-paratrooper in the Vietnam War. He was a man's man physically. And I've seen him dip his shoulder over on a flatbed truck with a 21-foot piece of steel cast iron um, uh, underground pipe lined with concrete, 450 pounds, roll it off on one shoulder and walk off with it. He was physically a man's man. He came and told me, he said, I'm going to pay you bond and bail, take you to live with me, but uh, you're going to have to think about it because you're going to have to go to church if you come live with me. That three days seemed like an eternity. He showed up and I said, Uncle Dwight, I'm ready. He took me home, and on the way home, he was sitting, of course, in the driver's seat. I was in the back, had another uncle in the passenger seat. He adjusted his mirror, stopped in the middle of the four-lane highway. He said, boy, and when he said, boy, I listened. <laughs> he said, boy, since the last time you saw me, I got saved and gave my life to Jesus Amen. Christ. And if you come live with me, son, you don't have a choice. You can go to, you're going to church. I'll take you to the jail, and you can rot there as far as I'm concerned. And I said, Uncle Dwight, I'll go to church any day, every day. You just let me know. Church is better than prison any day. Well, that was before I spent 35 years going to a lot of churches and prisons I've been in. I might have chose prisons had I have known. Right. We went to church that first Sunday morning, Pastor Gentry preached. It was homecoming Sunday in 1977. End of May, 1st of June, I don't remember the exact time. Some know the time, date, and et cetera. All right down to the second when they got saved. I don't know all that detail, but I know this. I got saved. Amen. And that day, a preacher preached. And he preached. I felt like that lady at John's Gospel chapter 4 at the well. Come see a man that told me all the I have ever done. Is not this the Christ? He preached on runaway from home. I ran away from home at the age of 13. He preached on, I'm not even going to get into it. I was, I was a rough teenager. And that morning he preached. I looked over out of my peripheral vision and my uncle was laughing under his breath and snickering. I thought that sorry low down hound. He has gone to the preacher and said, Terry Ellis is going to be here preaching on this, 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 and this, and let him have it. He's preaching on stuff somebody had to tell him in order for him to preach on the things he did. I'd already cased it out. I saw the exit sign closest to me. I thought when his pastor says amen, I'm going to hit my uncle as hard as I can and I'm running for my life because if it ever caught up with me, he'd have done me in. And I was arguing with God. I don't have time to go into it tonight. But I'm telling you, different in the providence of God, different intervals, things was happening in my life. And, uh, I, and I don't advocate this at all. I don't even think it's necessarily right, but God had mercy upon me. But I, in my heart, I bowed my head. Pastor Gentry had stood and said, it's homecoming Sunday. They've informed me the meal is ready. The choir's going to sing one more stanza and the invitation will be given and if you die lost in your sin, you'll die and go to hell without God. The choir was singing. I was under, I didn't know at the time, but it was conviction. Sure. I bowed my head and I said, now God, if you are the one that's dealing with me, put me in a park with the young people passing out tracks. Put me with an uncle that has been saved and put me in a cell block with John 3.16. Here I'm in church and all of this. I said, somehow you make that choir and that preacher sing another stanza. Choir was done. Pastor Gentry sat on the platform. He wasn't a highly emotional man. He stood up, walked to the pulpit. Tears were dripping down his cheeks. He said, folks, I can't explain it. Church, I don't know why, but I was sitting there, the choir was singing. He said, the Holy Spirit of God impressed on my heart if we'd sing one more stanza. Somebody would come and get saved and give their life to the Lord. I didn't wait for the choir. Started pushing people out of the pew and made my way to the aisle and started down to the altar. And somebody said, did you get saved at the altar that night? I really didn't. I was saved between my pew and the altar. I'd already poured my heart out to God and God saved me by his marvelous grace that morning. So whosoever wills salvation, were it not, I'd not been saved. Then I found that God can save the hardest of sinners. There's no sinner too hard for God. I've seen him save the drunkard, the whoremonger, the robber, the thief. I've seen him saved from the, as the old preacher said, from the uttermost to the guttermost. Then my last thought on this point, I've learned by experience God's given us eternal life. I mean eternal life. John 3, 15 and 16. Aren't you glad for eternal life, the Amen. promise of God? 
Aren't you glad that when this life is over, the best is yet to come? All the heartaches and sorrows will soon be past. And only what's done for Christ will last. Secondly, tonight I've also learned by experience that God's provisions never fail. In Philippians chapter 4, 13 through 19, but I'll go straight to verse number 19 and say it in this context for you. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now this promises to the church, but there are church members that are giving and helping to supply the needs. And I'm saying to you, for 43 years almost, 42 plus years I've been preaching and God's never failed. I've been a missionary 35 years. Brother Gregory and Miss Gale has been a missionary 40, help me, Brother Steve, 42, 44 years. And God's never failed us. When we started out with Rock of Ages Ministries, back in those days, we didn't have training, did we, Brother Steve? We were accepted by the ministry, went home. The fight was living in a little cottage on Dogwood Valley Baptist Church's property. A little, I think, 600 square feet with everything. Got in, sat down. We were shouting it out. Thank God we're missionaries. I looked at Peggy, she looked at me, and I said, but what do we do now? I didn't even know I was supposed to start calling trying to get support and present my ministry. I mean, I had no idea. We were shouting it out, we're missionaries, but we didn't know what to do. And so Peggy said, I think you start calling churches. So I did, and I'd call a pastor, and I'd hang up, and she'd say, tell them this, tell them this. I said, would you go to the bedroom and pray and leave me alone? Come on, men, say amen right there. You're proving you're, you're, proving you're a hen peg tonight. Boy, God began to work. Been a missionary a couple of weeks and I went into my employer, worked for the Dalton Fire Sprinkler uh, outfit here and I went in and told him, I said, I'm turning in a two-week notice. I'm going full-time in the ministry. He said, well, how much support do you have? I said, zero. <laughs> we had a little piece of property we sold for $125. I'll not go into that. And we didn't charge the young couple interest or anything. Just said $125 a month when it's paid for, handshake, we'd give it to them. And they paid it off about six months early. We shook the hands and gave them the title deed. That's what we started the ministry. It's not God's will everybody does that. I understand that. Don't imply that. But it was God's will for us. For $125 a month, we started out <clears throat> over 35 years ago. And I only weighed 155 pounds there. Somebody's how much you weigh now, they none of your business. <laughs> well, since first year we've been losing some COVID helped us out a substantial amount but $125 a month went down to the bank in Tunnel Hill and told them said I found a little a brave Winnebago it's 19 feet if I remember right or 20 feet from bumper to bumper went and sat down with the loan agent they said Mr. Ellis fill this out it's just one page back then you didn't have to sign your life away like you do today and um, bottom line was, we'll know what her income was, what her outgo was. It's very simple. Her income was $125, her outgo was $450. He looked at it and he said, now, Mr. Ellis, he said, uh, uh, you really expect us to give you a loan when you're $300-something dollars upside down on what you're asking for? I said, well, I don't know what to expect. I just know we, uh, God sent us, we went full time, and I believe the Lord wants us to have this motorhome Looking back, I'm not sure if I was in God's will or not. I had a 318 Dodge engine in it. We'd have to go down the road and adjust the choke. I'd have the Calvin off. I'd get it just right and tell Peggy, now put your finger on it and hold it. And I could tell as she moved it because it'd start spitting and sputting and puttering down the road. I'd say, move it back, lady, move it back. And we puttered down the road till I finally was able to get it fixed. And he said, now, Mr. Ellis, he said, I can't take this to our loan agents and our uh, board uh, he said, I just can't do it. He said, it's a waste of time, your time and mine. And I pressed him on it. He said, you know, he said, the president of the bank is here uh, today. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll just go back and tell him. He said, but I can already tell you what the answer is going to be. I said, well, go tell him. I'll be in prayer. He went back and stayed going. In fact, he was going so long, I started to get up and leave. And after a while, he came out. He's scratching his head. He said, Mr. Ellis, he said, I can't explain it. He said, the president of the bank's here. And he said, I went back and told him your scenario. I told him you was a missionary. You were not by faith. You had $125 a month. And you were wanting to buy this motorhome. By the way, the payment's only $150 back then. For that, excuse me, that motorhome uh, 35 years ago. He said, so I shared it with the president. And he said, you know, he said, this is going to be nuts. He said, but if he believes God wants him to do that, I'm going to give him a loan to see what happens. <laughs> And they gave us a loan. I won't go into all of it. The next month, we were in a meeting in, in the state of Missouri, Bible Baptist, the Loises. I'm sure Brother Gregory never remember. 
He came up to me after service. He said, now, Brother Ellis, the Lord's impressing me to help you and your family with your ministry. And said, we want to personally support you through our business. I said, go talk to your preacher. He said, I already have. Preacher said, go for it. He said, now, if it, you won't be offended, but I'd like to give you $500 a month for a year. I said, no, I'm not the slightest bit offended. <laughs> About nine months later, he came back and said, you know, he said, our commitment's up in just a few months, Brother Ellis. I said, yes, sir. He said, but the Lord's been dealing with us. He said, here's what I want to do. I want to take on all of your bills for you and increase your support to $1,000 a month. He said, would that be okay? I said, help yourself, Brother Richard. <laughs> and God supplied our needs. Amen. I've learned by experience, God's provisions never fail. They never run out. It is said that Joseph, during the famine of Egypt, would throw grain into the Nile and would sweep downstream for the people to get hold of. And it was his way of saying to those downstream, there's plenty up here where that came from. And you know that's the way God does. He just throws a little handful on purpose. Just to remind us, there's plenty where that came from. Sure. Well, I don't know how much to share with you tonight, but I'll share a few things and I'll give you my last thought. Preacher didn't put me on a time limit, but I'm going to claim that bird's eye tonight. <laughs> You're in trouble because the church is going to corner you when I get done tonight. They'll have your job tonight. <laughs> Bird's eye. So we were traveling with that motorhome out through the state of Washington and on my way. We only had three meetings. We left Missouri going west, one in Wyoming, one in Montana, and one in the state of Washington. And Oak Harbor, the Bible Baptist Church. We preached in Wyoming at one church, going to Montana at one church, and then we're on our way all the way to Oak Harbor, which is about as far toward the Pacific as you could go in that region. We got into Moses Lake, Washington, right outside of Spokane, Washington. And all of a sudden, the dashboard on that motorhome caught on fire. And it was in a snowstorm. And Peggy came up with a fire extinguisher, and there was more white on the inside than the out when she got done. <laughs> the dashboard caught on fire. She was spraying under it, sprayed the windshield. I had to pull off the interstate, and our brakes went out on us. I was able to patch those over. It was on a Wednesday night. I didn't have a service and didn't know any churches, so I found a church in a phone book, and I called and somebody answered the phone. I said, I'm Terry Ellis, etc." I said, we're just passing through the area. Don't want to preach. Not asking to share a ministry. I would like to ask, do you mind if we just drop in tonight and park our motorhome in the back of your parking lot? Don't need water, power, sewer. We'll just park and go on down the road. Didn't say a word about the problems we had. He said, well, Brother Ellis, our pastor resigned about two weeks ago, and we don't have anybody to preach. So if you come tonight, you got to preach for us. I said, well, I'm from Georgia. I'll preach the drop the hat. Drop the hat to preach if you want me to. He said, you come on. I preached that night, didn't say anything about anything. Our refrigerator had broken down. Now, we've never been out of food, but we've been awful low a time or two. Three times we've sold out everything except for a few things we had and a few pieces of luggage and so forth and started over over these 35 years of being a missionary. I went in that night. I preached, didn't say a word. We were in the back of the church parking lot. We'd had our devotion. The kids had their pajamas on. In fact, they had turned in, and Mrs. Ellis and I were sitting at the table visiting. And all of a sudden, at the front door, I said, who could that be? Went to the door, and there was that deacon that I'd talked to that invited us in to preach. He said, Brother Ellis, he said, my wife and I go down to the grocery store, and we do our shopping <clears throat> on Wednesday nights after the services. And because there's not very many people there, and it's just a quiet, relaxing time, he said, we're walking down the aisle of the supermarket, and he said, I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and I said to her, is God speaking to you about the same thing he's speaking to me? She said, well, I don't know. It depends on what God's speaking to you about. If he's talking to you about the missionary, then yes. He said, how did you know? She said, God's dealing with me. He said, I believe God wants us to buy that missionary family some groceries. She said, I do too. He said, Brother Ellis, would you be offended if we give you folks some groceries? I said, no, brother, that'll be fine. I never said a word about the coverage below. Didn't say a word about a refrigerator, brakes, anything. I knew when he backed his trunk up, turned it toward our door and started backing up, was about to get some groceries. We lived in that motorhome, what, a year and a half or more later, maybe two years after that. And when we got rid of it, we still had some groceries that that deacon gave us. They brought our children's favorites, I mean their favorite cereal. Never met them before in our life. He said, Brother Ellis, do you like steak? I said, like steak? I said, man, I'm from Georgia. You put a drop on my forehead, my tongue would slap its brains out trying to get to it. 
He gave me deer steak, moose steak, elk steak, beef steak. How I many he gave me every kind of steak you could imagine? Amen. And they gave us all of that and he pressed Mrs. Ellis to get his wife to help put up all the food. Well, we didn't want to tell him our refrigerators broke down. And finally, after pressing, I said, well, brother, I've just got to be honest with you. We're living out of an ice chest, a cooler. I said, our refrigerators broke down. Now, Moses Lake Jesus has, I don't know for sure, that time, a thousand or less. And he said, would you like to know what I do for a living? I said, go ahead and fix it. <laughs> Little Moses Lake had about 12 RVs on their lot. And a month before we arrived, they had sent him to a special training in Chicago, one of the big eastern cities, and trained him on how to fix those ammonia nitrate systems. He got a refrigerator going. He got ready to go. I didn't tell you the other part. Our gas tank was just enough to get out of town. And we didn't have the money to go any farther. He gave us all that he did, walked down the steps, we shut the door, and all of a sudden... I opened the door. He said, there's one more thing I got to do before I get out of here. And he uh, took out his personal check. The church had to give us an offering. That's fine. I didn't want one. I didn't ask for one. And he wrote a check. Now, it's $40. That was a lot of money back then, 34 years ago. It's a lot of money today for that matter. And he turned it upside down on the table. By this time, I've then lost my dignity. I turned it upside down and looked at it. I said, glory to God. That's exactly what I need to fill up my gas tank to the brim to get us to Oak Harbor, Washington. And I'm just saying this tonight. God's provisions never fail. He has more than you and I tonight can ever tap into and exhaust tonight. We got all the way to the other side of the state. Bird's eye. I was preaching at Oak Harbor Bible Baptist Church and we preached, our front brakes went out. Our back brakes, we got them fixed over in Moses Lake. Now the front brakes went out. They had double calendars, uh, calipers on them. Back in those days, $350 per wheel, $700. Pastor came and he said, now Brother Ellis, do you have the money to pay for that? I said, no sir, I don't. I said, but preacher, church has been good to us. I'm not. He said, no, I'll tell you what, if you'll give the love offering, we'll put in the rest and pay for it. Well, that's, I'm not going to turn that down. I ain't going to get no, I'm not going to get out of his parking lot either, but I didn't want to tell him that. We didn't have much gas either, just enough to get down the road a few miles. And I wasn't going to say anything. They fixed our brakes and we headed out of town the next day. And in Upton, Wyoming, a preacher gave Peggy $25 and gave me $25 and said, you better not spend it on the ministry, Bibles, tracts, your children, gas, fuel, this is for you and you alone. If you spend it on anything else, I'm going to pray God judge you for it. I said, don't worry about it. We'll spend it. God gave me a Stetson hat. Can you imagine somebody from Georgia wearing a Stetson hat? <laughs> and we're going down the road. He gave me one of them fancy clips. You pull down and drop your hat in it and let it go. And there's times we give things to God and we take them back and we give them to God and take them back. Then there's times we give things to God and we give them to him. And I had struggled back and forth and finally God gave me overwhelming peace. And I was arguing with him. I said, now Lord, if you want us 3,000 miles from home, don't know anybody, broke on the side of the interstate with my wife, my kids. I was reminding God I had my wife and kids with me, you know. And I said, if we break down, Lord, is this really what you want? And God gave me peace. And I reached up and got that cowboy hat and went to put it on and a pink and a gray Ford Porter track, God's simple plan of salvation, hit me in the lap. Well, I was driving that big motorhome down the road and so I looked at it and had scribbling on the front of it and I thought our kids had gotten hold of it and so I went to wad it up to throw it away. And when I did, it pricked my finger. I thought of Hebrews 4.12 for the word of God is quick, sharper, and powerful than a two-edged sword. And so I thought, well, literally, and I looked at it as I opened it up and it literally, it wasn't scribbling, it was somebody's handwriting it said we just wanted to be a blessing down the road and they had stapled it shut. I'd got pricked by a staple. And so I ripped it open and when I did, a $100 bill and a $50 bill hit me in the lap. I started shouting, Peggy, come running with a fire extinguisher to the front again. <laughs> now, here's what happened. Randy came up and he said, Daddy, what's going on? And I said, do you remember we were praying that God would get us down the road to our next meetings and how the Lord provided for our breaks and all of these things? He said, yes. I said, and I held up a $100 bill and a $50 bill. And I said, son, don't you ever forget, God will take care of your needs. And I remember he began to weep. He said, Daddy, Jesus really does love us and take care of us, doesn't he? I've learned by experience God's provisions 
never fail. I could keep you here for hours tonight, but thank God for but tonight. I won't. Let me share with you. We've had very strict policies on the COVID virus at Rock of Ages Ministries from masks to sanitizer to stuff they use even in operating rooms that we've invested in heavily for the ministry. And for over a year, we've been able to shy away from it, even after direct exposure to people in services. Mrs. Ellis's mother passed away. And we went to the funeral. I preached it. Lo and behold, she had a niece that showed up. Didn't know she had COVID, but she infected 10 that we know of. Peggy was diagnosed with it. I went the next day to get checked. There was no symptoms whatsoever, but I wanted to get checked out of courtesy. I didn't want to get out in public and expose anyone else if I was positive, and I tested positive on a Wednesday morning. By Friday, I was determined they misdiagnosed me. Nothing, nothing, zero effects from the COVID. But out of courtesy, I called and canceled three conferences back-to-back even one in Wyoming, and then I canceled some church meetings. In fact, today's first time I've been back in the pulpit in almost six weeks. By Saturday night, it hit me like a freight train. Laid me flat on my back. I've always pushed straight through. I've had double pneumonia before in Wyoming and pushed for a month until I landed in the hospital for a week to get over it. I've always pushed through, but this time there was no pushing. It laid me flat on my back. They told me if my oxygen hit 87, go straight to the emergency room, no questions asked. I went, ended up, long story short, to emergency room. They diagnosed me with double pneumonia. My oxygen was down to 85 one night, 82 the next night, and couldn't get it up. They were going to give me an infusion on the next day. The hospital did, failed the doctors to communicate it to the lab and the pharmacy. I was so bad, I, within 12 hours, I had to go to Erlanger. When I was in the Adventist Hospital in Calhoun, I went there so I didn't have to fight the traffic and the split up there. When I did go, it took us an extra hour and 15 minutes because of the traffic. They showed me my x-rays and my right lung had a substantial amount of fluid in the other lung. They said I had it. I didn't see it so much, but they diagnosed me with a double pneumonia. They didn't admit me because they were going to do the infusion. Within 12 hours, I went to Erlanger. During that time, the Tri-State Baptist Fellowship had its meeting, and our church was in its jubilee meeting. The Tri-State Baptist Fellowship had special prayer. Our church jubilee had special prayer, and there were, I suppose, a thousand or more praying at almost the same time. When I showed up at Erlanger and they did their x-rays, my lungs were as clear as you could get. God had healed me in less than 12 hours of my pneumonia. Still stuck with two emergency room bills, but God healed me. Erlanger gave me some medication. Within two days, I began to turn the corner. I didn't know a few times if I was going to pull through and Mrs. Ellis was overly concerned. I told her, I said, I've done been twice. I'm not going back a third time. I'll leave it in the hands of God. And God in his mercy heard your prayers. And I want to say how grateful I am for your prayers. I've learned by experience that God's able to work. God's able to move. God's able to, his promises never fail. He answers the prayer of his people. Then I want to give you one more thing tonight and I'll be done. I'll only be a moment. The third thing I've learned, and there are many tonight, I've learned that God's power and presence is real. Go ye therefore in Matthew 28, 19, and at the end of the verse, he says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And Matthew closes the, the book with a amen. That's right, so be it. Amen. I've learned that God's power and his divine presence is real in my life. Amen. In Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And the word through is the key word in that text. When we think about trials and troubles and heartaches and sorrows and tribulation, we think of God being with us as we go through that trial. And it's true. But the word through has much more depth to it than just that. The word through means going into 
going through and going out of. It's not just from that space where we are in the trial and the trial ends. That word means that God's with us as we're heading into the trial and when we're coming out of the trial. Yea, though I walk through into the valley of the shadow of death and I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I reach the other side, God's gonna lead me out of this valley of the shadow of death. And I've learned tonight that God's divine presence is real. That when I go through trials in life and I go through sufferings in life and I go through the challenges of life, whether it's COVID or ministry or family or whatever it might be, I've learned that God's not only with me in that, he's with me going in it, going through it and coming out of it on the other side. I remember I must have been taken hostage in the Wyoming State Penitentiary. In fact, they held off on taking the hostages until I exited out of the institution. I got to the main exit gate. It was announced there was a hostage crisis and they took over two counselors and held them in my office because it was secluded in the maximum security unit. I won't take the time to go through it all. The FBI had come in from Cheyenne and wanted to use me because of my rapport with the prisoners to draw the inmates out and the sniper was going to take them out. And I was going to say no, but our warden stepped in and said, if you do that, his ministry will be ruined forever. He'll never be able to go into another prison anywhere in America. They decided to wait. I had a little white track that a church had sent to me. It's God's Precious Promises, a little booklet. And on the front of it, it said with God, all things are possible. One of the counselors was a backslidden Christian. They did a, a write-up, a big article in the, um, well, now I forgot the name of that little booklet, Breeders' Digest, thank you. I've still got it, a copy of it. And they wanted to do an article in it. And I said, you're welcome to do it, but you will not change a single word. You have to put every single word I give you in there. And they wrote it up, and it has the plan of salvation very clearly given. And within 24 hours or so, they let him go free. But that counselor got hold of that track. With God, all things are possible. And she rededicated her life to the Lord, and God answered and heard that. I need to live here. I thought about God's power and presence, even in death. When my dad lay on his deathbed, I've not been able to see him in several years other than just here and there and we spend quality time together. But I remember I was exhausted. I'd gone for all day, all night, all day and into that night I was going to stay up with him at the Chattanooga Hospice Center in Chattanooga. And about two or three o'clock in the morning something woke me up. I literally was so tired I just slumped over in my chair. Two or three o'clock in the morning something woke me up and I was startled by it. My dad was saying, I see it, I see it, I see it. And I said, Dad, what do you see? He said, boy, I see it. He was frustrated with me. I was out of it. I honestly, it took me a while. I was dazed. And then it hit me. I know what he was seeing. I said, Dad, can you tell me what it looks like? He just stared for a little while and said, mm, it's fun. My dad only had a fourth grade education. We didn't even know a new words like phenomenal. He said it's phenomenal. It wasn't too long after that, just a few hours, and he went to that phenomenal place. Peggy sure. had an aunt. We can go ahead and come to the instruments. I'll close tonight. If you want to come so we can go ahead and get started with the invitation. Peggy had an aunt. We called her Aunt Emma. She had cancer that grew externally. Right here on her, uh, on her neck, there was a massive tumor that came out. It literally would not only be too gross tonight, it would literally petrify and big chunks would fall off. When you got off the elevator at Memorial here in uh, Dalton, when you got off on the third floor, that's where they were at back then, you could smell Aunt Emma's cancer. And her uncle and I was in the room with her. She had been in a coma for weeks. 
We were sitting there quietly visiting in fellowship, and all of a sudden, I don't want to over-sensationalize this, but God's my witness. All of a sudden, there was a divine presence in that room. And we looked over at Anne and her eyes were open. Instant, we jumped beside her bed, and her lips started moving. She couldn't say anything because of being so weak, but her lips were moving. I got down close, bent my ear down just inches away from her mouth, and she was saying, Come on, come on. And her voice got stronger and stronger. After a while, I stood up and she was saying, come on. And she began to lift her hand and she was doing it like this. Come on, come on. And she reached out and her hand stopped just like that, like she'd grabbed hold of something. She said, come on. And it went like that. And she had a smile from here to here. She dropped her hand by her side. And I don't want to over-sensationalize it. But God showed up in that room. I believe she had, I believe that moment she had her angelic escort into the very divine presence of God. I've learned by experience tonight God's power and his presence is real tonight. I've been through those places and come out the other side. God, his presence and his power is real. I don't know what you're going through tonight, but I know as I thought about tonight, the Lord impressed on my heart this text. If you're not saved tonight, I'm going to tell you something. I've learned God saves the hardest of sinners, the most calloused of sinners. If you're a Christian and not saved, I don't want to make anybody doubt your salvation. If you're a Christian and you know you're not saved, God's been dealing with you. And you ought to come tonight. Swallow your pride. Come to the Savior. Whatever you're struggling with tonight, God's able. Our fathers, we bow before you tonight. Take these few short, simple thoughts from the scriptures tonight. Use them for thy glory. Bless your people tonight in your church. Help us, I pray. We sure need you, not only in across America, we need you here in our churches, Lord. We need you in our homes and our lives. How desperately we need thee. Thank you for teaching us some things over our Christian life and experience. Help your people tonight and how we pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Some are already praying. I wonder if the heads bowed and eyes closed. There's someone tonight. Say, preacher, would you pray for me? God knows I needed this message tonight. It was just for me. Preacher, would you pray? Would you let me know by a quick uplifted hand? Just a quick uplifted hand. Thank you. Someone else, yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Others quickly tonight. Let's not drag God's invitation. I'll not drag an invitation. God spoke, let's move. Others quickly, quickly tonight. Preacher, would you pray for me? Honor the Lord. Yes, I see that young hand. Somebody else, quickly. Preacher, pray for me. Let me ask you this. Is there someone here tonight say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. You don't even have to hold your hand all the way up just up to your chest or maybe at your head. Say, preacher, pray for me. Show me the palm of your hand. That's all you got to do. Preacher, here's the palm of my hand. I need to be saved. Anyone, anywhere, quickly, 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 quickly. Our Father, bless this invitation. We ask it in Christ's name.